Man, may we follow the one who reveals himself to us. He has a miracle for us, a revealing of himself to let us see who he is. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be celebrating. And man, we are worshiping our King. We're in a series here called Follow Him. Follow Him. We're talking about what it looks like to make sure our lives are tracking with Jesus Christ. And we're doing this by looking at some of the examples of the disciples with Christ over the course of time, just kind of jumping into a couple of different passages. And, and uh, we've already gotten two weeks into this. We looked at it at Easter Sunday, what it is to follow the risen one. And so each week we're looking at a focus on Jesus Christ. Last week was following the willing one. Jesus Christ, he has conquered death. He has risen from the dead. We have hope. And all of God's people said, amen, man. And because of that, we worship our God. But know this, Jesus knew exactly what he was walking into. And yet he was the willing one. He stepped in for you and for me. He loves you. And he laid his life on the line for you. Jesus, he is so worth following. And today we're looking at following the kind one. The one who pours out his blessing in this world. The one who makes clear who he is and invites us to it. The one who thunderously performs good works all over the place, both now and 2,000 years ago. May we worship the king who is the kind one. The one who brings power and authority with all he's got. So do me a favor. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. John 10, starting in verse 22, and we're going to follow through this piece here of Scripture and learn what God has to teach us here. So point number one, follow the one who knows you and cares for you. Follow the one who knows you and cares for you. And Jesus Christ, in everything he does and everything he says, he cares for you. Make sure you're watching that throughout this uh, time here as we walk through this passage. See how God is revealing. See his care along the way. So here we go. Starting in John 10, verse 22, it says, At that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ... Tell us plainly, right? So there's this moment of interaction between Jesus and some people that are there. Um, let's just walk through the top, the pieces from the top here. It says, at the time, the feast of the dedication took place in Jerusalem, the feast of dedication. Now, we've walked through seven of the feasts, and we did that a couple years ago. This is not one of those feasts. This is an additional one. This one occurs in December of every year, our December. They don't name it December, but it follows through in our December each year. It comes around the Christmas season every year. In fact, you've heard of this feast in a number of different times and places with a different name. This is Hanukkah. Okay, that's what this is. The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. So just to make sure we understand what Hanukkah is, this is a little bit of their um, 
Maybe their 4th of July celebration of sorts, all right? It looks back to when they had been taken captive in 167 BC. There was this horrible guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. He took over. He was abusing people. He was mistreating people. He took the temple and he did horrible things in the temple, desecrating it, making it unusable, and then said, nobody can go in the temple, and he shut down worship. That took place for about three years from 167 to 164, they were getting fed up. There was this rebel community that was building. They're like, we've got to overthrow these guys. And eventually they came up with a plan. They went after it and they did. They overthrew, they pushed out, they took back the temple. And as they walked into the temple, they're like, this is it. We're opening the temple up. We're going to bring back worship today. And as they began to clean it up and open it up, they noticed one thing. In the holy oil that would need to be burning to make this temple like a valid time of worship, the holy oil, there was only one day's worth. And so they got on their knees and they prayed to God and they said, Lord, we need to go make more oil in the process. Will you please keep this one day's worth burning? And so they started the oil burning in the temple and they went to go grab more olives and do whatever you do to get olive oil out of it that they could go ahead and burn. It would take about seven days. And so this one day's oil burned for eight days straight. And they look at it like a sign from God, a miracle, a provision overall. In fact, just so you know, that's why Hanukkah has that menorah. It's got the eight candles on it. And then the one in the middle, that one is kind of the lighter candle. And then the other eight represent the eight days of miracle where the oil stayed burning when there was only enough for one day. They're fired up about it, man. And they celebrate it each year. Hanukkah is sort of this, that's when we took it back. That's when the temple became ours again. That's when God provided eight days worth. Just keep that mindset in mind as we move through this now, all right? At the time of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication, it was winter, December, as we said, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. The colonnade of Solomon. Now, another little important note there. This is on the east side, so just picture kind of a building that's got no roof over it. It's wide open, but it's got these walls, right? This uh, construct. And on the east side is this big, heavy east wall, and there's this sort of overhang, sort of like on the back of our houses, you may have an overhang on your house. There's like an overhang, and then to keep it balanced, they've got all these um, pillars or colonnades. In fact, this was one of the few pieces that was left from the temple from the time of Solomon. And so they call it Solomon's Colonnade or the Portico of Solomon, right? And so this is this overhang. Why is it a big deal? Well, because it's winter. Now, winter in Israel isn't like winter here or strangely, April 20th, what's coming up with snow on Tuesday, right? My word, have you, have you heard that? Snow Tuesday, you gotta be kidding me. So anyway, they're like winter. Winter in Israel is like rainy. It's cold, it's nasty. And so getting out from underneath the weather makes a lot of sense. So like it's winter, of course you would go underneath the portico if you're in the temple. It keeps the wind cut and the rain off of you. And that's where a lot of teaching would take place. Teachers that were gonna be speaking would get underneath the portico where the biting winds wouldn't be there and no rain would be there and they could talk to the people. So Jesus is walking in the colonnade of Solomon where people would expect some teaching where the wind is being cut, where the weather is being managed, 
And it's during a time frame where people are like, yes, rebels, we take back what is rightly ours and God's temple will be holy. And that's what's going on. It says, so the Jews gathered around him. Just so you know, in the original language, it literally says there, the Jews encircled him. It's a lot more aggressive. It's not like a bunch of friendly people getting around going, hey, we'd love to hear what you have to say. They're kind of like, tell us. There's this rallying, this encircling around, this demanding that's taking place. They gathered around, they encircled him, and they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? Have you ever asked a question where you started out with the phrase, how long? Have you ever asked that? You're whining when you do, right? Like, how long? Come on, man, what are you doing? And they're beginning to whine. They're like, how long will you keep us in suspense? Literally in the original language, how long will you hold our souls up and prevent them from being satisfied? How long will you take our souls hostage? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And that's some pretty bold conversation. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, you got to hear what they're actually saying. If you are the Christ, if you're the Messiah, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They're like, listen, we are in this moment of celebrating that, that God provides, that the temple can be taken back, that what is rightly his will be taken over. And we, the Jewish nation, should be reigning over all. And by the way, that's the role of Christ, the Messiah, right? And so as they look at him, they're like, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, hey man, it's Hanukkah, bring it. Let's go, take over. Will you please take this thing back? Do your job. If you're the Messiah, no better time than the present. Let's see it. That's what's taking place here. This is a massive cry out. This would be a lot like us on the 4th of July, but we believe religiously that somehow there's some more overthrow that's going to happen. And it's the 4th and we're celebrating and we're like, why not now? What a great time. That's what's going on. And so they're getting fired up. They're asking Christ, will you please do this? And then they said, tell us plainly. Remember last week when Christ was talking to his disciples and he's like, listen, here's what's going on. And who do you think I am? And they're like, well, you are the Christ. And he goes, okay, don't tell anyone. You remember that? Like keep that quiet. Why? Because there's some things that have to happen. There's some things the Father has to get done. There's some stuff that needs to take place, including me dying and rising again three days later. Hang on. Don't bring it too early. Don't bring it too soon. And so there is one level where Christ is not telling it plainly. On the other hand, the lame are now walking. The blind are now seeing. 5,000 have been fed. The dead have risen. Christ's works are being shown out. His word is being said. In fact, here's the irony. Just two chapters earlier in John chapter 8, it says that they were talking to him and challenging him. And Jesus was talking with them and said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's a major grammar problem, right? You should say, before Abraham was, I was, looking past tense. He said, before Abraham was, I am. 
He brought the very name of God, I am, Yahweh. He said that word, he said, I am. And their response in John 8 was to pick up stones to stone him. It was perfectly crystal clear. Christ had claimed somehow equality with Yahweh, I am. They picked up stones to stone him, and it says in Christ disappeared in the crowd. Uh, We don't know exactly what that means and how that happened. Most likely there was some divine miracle peace going on and Christ just went away. And they're like, where'd he go? Well, now they're back two chapters later and they're asking questions again. And now they're like, tell us plainly. Now, to be fair, well, I've been pretty plain and you picked up some stones Right? To be fair, that's a fair response. So Jesus uh, said to them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. I told you. I said before Abraham was, I am. I told you that the good works coming down were from the Father and through me and He's like, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He's like, listen, stop worrying about the words I say. I will be, and you will see. Just open your eyes. I am God right in front of you living it out is really what he was saying. Are you seriously saying you can't see it? Check it out. Look what's happening. Look at the works. There are dead men walking. There are lame men walking. There are blind men seeing. There are hungry people fed. Are you kidding me? Take a look at the works and you will see. Christ giving them a hard, firm, direct answer to make sure that they're using their observational skills. He says, told you that you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep you're not with me and the reason you feel you're not getting your soul satisfied is because you're not letting me I'm making it clear who I am I'm making it clear by my presence I'm making it clear by my power You're not with me. You're not one of my sheep. He's like, this is a huge deal. You're not among my sheep. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. I know them and they will follow me. My sheep hear my voice. As I speak, as I say things, as I make it clear, as I do in front of you, you will recognize me as who I am. Are you in? Now, you got to imagine, these are the guys who encircled them. They're angry. They're upset. They want an overthrow of the government. They're like, we are not here for you to give us some kind of soft answer or a little bit of miracle moment. I am here for you to do something huge. Will you please become the Christ, the Messiah, take it over, flip this world upside down, push Rome out, and let Israel rule over all? And he's like, hear my voice hear what I'm saying. There's something amazing happening right in front of you. Are you ready to hear? 
He says, my sheep hear my voice. Those who are following me, they grasp what I'm saying. He says, I know them and they will follow. I know them. Jesus Christ, man, if you are a follower of him, here's your hope, here's your promise. He knows you. He knows every little piece about you. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what you're angry about. He knows what you're hurting on. He knows what you're languishing over. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows your God knows you. And he loves you. And he's providing for you along the way. He's like, I know them and they will follow me. Those who are truly the sheep of Jesus will follow. And if you truly belong to him, you're going to hear his voice, grasp what he's saying, and go with him all out. May Christ get all the glory. May we follow. May we literally listen to him. May we communicate with him. May we value what he values and may we obey him. We talked about those four things last week. What does follow mean? That I grasp what he's saying and I'm in. I'm following after you with all I've got. He's like, man, those who are called my sheep, they're going to get what I'm saying. They're going to hear it. They're going to see what I'm doing. And it's going to put a smile on their face. And they're going to follow He said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. He's like, listen, this is a two-way thing. You're following, but there is blessing that comes back. I will pour on eternal life, life that lasts forever. Perfection, stunning, absolute forever perfection. No pain, no sorrow, no heartache. He gives it all. He gives eternal life out to those who follow him, to those who are his sheep, to those who hear his voice, to those who believe he has risen from the dead and confess him as Lord. And do you believe that Jesus is risen? Is he in charge of your life? Do you confess him as Lord? And that's saved. That's his sheep following him, obeying, hearing, making your life celebrate him. What a privilege. He says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Man, if you need chapter and verse for the security of your salvation, for the promise and the eternal safety of that salvation, this is it. This is a crushing passage that says that no one is gonna take them out of his hand. Those who are the sheep of Jesus, he's like, they are in my hand and they are not coming out. No one will snatch them. That word means to be as aggressive as it sounds. No one's gonna grab them, steal them, take them. There is nothing that is going to take away salvation for those who are his sheep, saved, secure. Everybody just say secure. Secure. Don't miss that. This is a massive statement. No one, that covers everyone. No one is going to take them out of my hand. The good shepherd speaking of his sheep and the hope we have as we follow him. May we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And it's a huge deal. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. My sheep 
will hear my voice. So I just did a little bit of looking up on this this week and uh, like, what does this mean? How does this work? And, um, you know, I, I found a couple of different videos that th- there were some pieces of it I didn't want to show, but I can at least describe it to you. And uh, I found one video that was phenomenally descriptive of it because the guy role played it out. He basically took some young adults, some college kids, and, and said, all right, I'm going to teach you as the farmer, my, I'm the shepherd of these sheep. I know how to call them. So I'm going to teach you the call for these sheep. You're going to learn it. You're going to learn it with me. And then I'm going to have you call out and we'll see what happens. And so he takes these kids and he teaches them. And the call was very specific. And I'm going to try to mimic it here. Here we go. So he's like, it goes something like this. So he has them do that. And he teaches them and they're trying it. And he's like, no, no, higher pitch. No, no, a little louder. No, no, more like this. There, that's it. Now you. And he gets them doing it. He's like, you got it. So now he says, your turn, call the sheep. And he go out to the farm and they stand at this fence and he calls out. First college kid. And the sheep did not move. They're like, not listening. They just continue to chew on the grass. Everybody starts cracking up. They're like, you don't have it, man. So he steps back. Next one steps up. She goes, one sheep lifts up its head and they're like, oh, oh, oh. And then it goes, no. <laughs> right back down, just starts eating the grass again. Not going to go. Next kid tries, doesn't work at all. Finally, they're like, you just do it. Just do it. You made your point. Farmer steps up. He goes, every single sheep, head up. He goes, and one starts coming. They all start bleeding, and they start running to him. They all run up to the fence. Everybody that was standing back watching it just starts applauding. This is amazing. He goes, watch this. He jumps the fence. They start running in circles around him, getting as close as they can. And as he starts to walk, they just follow by forming a line. And everywhere he goes, they went with him. He walked through the whole field with them just following behind. He turned around. He walked back into them. And they just peeled around and all around him and hung with him. It was an amazing moment to see what it is to call out. And then he said, by the way, have you ever tried that with cows? Where you as the farmer walk into the middle of them, they scatter. They just run away. Jesus, very careful in his illustration. We are his sheep, not his cattle. When he calls out, And if we are saved, if we trust in him, if we know him as Savior, we believe he is risen, we confess him as Lord. When he calls out, we will hear his voice crying out in the wind we're in. And we come running. And make sure that you are hearing the voice of Jesus. And if you're missing it, then this is your opportunity to be coming across as Christ invites for those to trust in him who are willing to hear who he is and give their life to him. May we follow with all we've got because we hear the voice of the king and all of God's people said, amen, man. Point number two, follow 
the one who is truly God. Follow the one who is truly God. He says, my father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. Now remember, he just got done saying, no one can snatch them out of my hands. And now he says, and my father, he's talking God the father here. So we have God the father and God the son. And he says, my father who is greater than all, like there is no being bigger than God almighty. And you have God the Father and now God the Son working together. And it says, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Now, he just said that there are two sets of hands that his sheep are in. They're in his hands and they're in his Father's hands. And they're in both at the same time. And he's making a statement here about some of the nature of God He's talking about the connectedness of God, that God the Father and God the Son are really one. He's like, listen, if he's in my hands, he's in the Father's hands, and I'm telling you, this is a hope that we have. God the Father, God the Son, we have a oneness there. And if you think I'm stretching it a little bit too far, then look at what he says next. He says, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Clear enough? Right? Sometimes they're like, you're not telling us plainly. Let me tell you plainly. I and the Father are one. There is a oneness going on. Now, he's not talking one in person. There's a uniqueness. God the Father, God the Son. But there is a oneness in the essence, in the nature, in the purpose. There is a connectedness and a oneness. He is really shouting out Deuteronomy 6, the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's like, I and the Father are one. He's talking about the Trinity here and the value and the hope of God the Father and God the Son working together and the eternal security that comes because no one can take a saved one out of the Father's hand or out of the Son's hand. Those who are my sheep will not be snatched away. Man, it's a huge, huge promise as Christ speaks of him being God the Son. You know, he's really echoing Colossians 2.9, which says, in him the fullness of the deity dwelled bodily. In him the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Jesus Christ, he is fully God and fully man. Hope. There is oneness And there is unity between God the Father and God the Son and an eternal security along the way. May we lean on that. May we count on that. That the gift we have of salvation is His to give and His to protect. Man, don't miss that. His to give and His to protect. God giving us hope. He says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews... Well, how would you respond to that? Take a look at what the Jews responded with. And the Jews picked up stones to stone him again. They're like, listen, this Abraham and I am talk, that was enough, man. But now you just claimed equality with God. I and the Father are one. You have got to be kidding me. 
Please hear me. Jesus Christ made it absolutely clear that he is God. He is God. Everybody just say, he is God. Man, he's making it perfectly clear. Don't miss it. Christ is declaring it with a thunderous statement. I and the Father are one. Celebrate and worship that, boys. That's where he's at. It says they picked up stones again to stone him. And the appropriate response at that point would be John chapter 8. Let's get out of here, right? And instead, Jesus answered them. Can you imagine that? Like I'm saying some words here and the guy in the front row picks up a rock and he's like, go ahead. And I'm like, let me explain a little more from a distance, right? Like Jesus is like, I'm not stepping back and I'm not stepping out. I'm just stepping in. Here's what I have to say. Jesus answered them. I have shown you many good works from my father. For which of them are you going to stone me? This is the throwdown. Are you going to look at who I am? Are you going to grasp what I know? Are you going to celebrate the works that I have done and seen the Father at work in me? Which of those works are you going to stone me for? They've got a real problem on their hands because he is doing works that would clearly be honoring the Father. He's doing works that are clearly good. He's doing works that are clearly righteous in nature and saving lives. Human lives are being helped and, and goodness is happening and they got a real problem with calling that a problem. And he's like, so which of the works is it? And they say, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, are being, you being a man make yourself God. Are you hearing it? They thunderously declare it. We do not believe that you are God Almighty. We are out. We don't buy it. I do not believe that you are king of the universe. I do not believe that you are God Almighty, that you and the Father are one. That is blasphemy. They're trying to call him out on his words for using the word God associated with him. And Jesus begins to give them even more answer. They're standing against, they're calling out blasphemy, they're picking up rocks, and Jesus boldly standing in and saying, no, the works I have done are powerful. The works I have done are kind. The works I have done are from the Father. I and the Father are one, and it's time you learn a little bit. And Jesus gets a little bit more clear. Now, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna skip past these next couple of words because the first words that Jesus gives are, seriously, boys, you're being a little hypocritical. And you can really work through the argument in detail, but here's what he's saying. You allow these words, son of God, and to be applied to other people, and all of a sudden you're like making a big deal about me saying it. He's using a, that's a hypocrisy argument. He's kind of tearing them down just a little bit, but then he turns to himself and looks back to himself as the strength of the answer. And the second part of his answer is, take a look at me. So jump to verse 37 and look what he says. He says, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. Look, if I'm not doing the works of the Father, be done and walk away. Look, if I'm not with him, if I'm not echoing his character, you're done. You don't need to listen to me. 
However, if the works I'm doing honor him and he is pouring it in, it is time for you to listen to the works. Do you see the very character of God being expressed in front of you right now? The works of kindness and of power and of healing and of love and of sacrifice. Your God for you. Jesus Christ willingly going to the cross, rising again to give us life eternal. May the works scream to us. We serve the Savior who loves us with all he's got. May nothing stand in the way of our eyes seeing his works. And all of God's people said, he's like, believe the works, if nothing else. And hear that and see his compassion, see his miracles, see his goodness, see that he is king. Jesus being in front of you and you seeing with all you've got. May Christ get all the glory. He says, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Let me be more clear about I and the Father are one. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. Man, hear this. Jesus Christ is thundering a statement as a human being standing in front of them, he's saying this. I am so much more than a man. You've got to start seeing it. You've got to start feeling it. I am moving in this world and there is going to be something massive that takes place. You boys don't know it, but when I speak, this world exists. Get ready. I I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. I and the Father are one. Jesus is God Almighty, and his works are goodness and kindness and righteousness and graciousness, and he is to be followed. And all of God's people said, amen, man, don't miss it. The kind one, the sacrificing one, doing for you and me to see. May God get all the glory. Let's pray.